Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. So let's open our Bibles to chapter 28, if you have one. We're going to read two verses. So as we come upon chapter 28, David has already once in fleeing from his original boss, his father-in-law, Saul, who throws spears at him. David decided to flee to the land of the Philistines in the coastal region of Israel. About 1000 BC, there's the very first king of Israel now exists, Saul, and he's trying to kill David, whom has already been anointed by Samuel, the greatest prophet in hundreds of years, to be the next king. So we have these two kingdoms in conflict, the king who's going crazy, Saul, and the king who's filled with the spirit, David. The crazy king being refined, being used by God to refine David to become a great king and not be another Saul. So when David grabs Saul's spear, he doesn't use Saul's spear to kill Saul, but he gives it back to him. Because God's not trying to replicate more Saul's and Philistine warlords. He's trying to make very special women and men of God to change the world in his, for his glory in Jesus' name. So you just can never take the Saul's spear and put him down with it. You just got to give it back to him and say, just please stop throwing your spear at me. So David's been fleeing from Saul. And in fleeing, we've been following the storyline, but ends up with the Philistines. And earlier on, there at Ach- with Achish in Gath, he acts like a crazy man. We, we know that David had uh, skills. He's a great dancer, and he's obviously a very good actor. Because when he acted crazy, he convinced Achish that he was crazy. David was very comfortable in his own skin. I'm sure you're realizing that as we go through this book, looking at his life. He was, he was comfortable being David. When you slay the bear and the lion in Jesus' name, and you strike down Goliath, and you got Goliath's sword, you're pretty secure in who you are. And that's important tonight when we look at this text. But already David's showed up in Gath, and he acts like a madman, out of his mind, like, you know, and Gath's like, this, is this the guy? Like, yeah, this is the guy. You know, they're saying Saul killed his thousands, David killed his ten thousands. I can pull it up on YouTube. I'll show you the clip, you know, like whatever. Like, this is that guy. There's no way this is that guy. This guy is crazy. And, and so David was just, he was in character. He, he, he got the job. The audition worked. He, he got it. He fooled the king, uh, the warlord, Achish. So David doesn't stay there. He ends up leaving We've been reading about Saul chasing him all over the Judean wilderness. David goes to Moab with his family, all these things. And now, wouldn't you know, he ends up back in the land of the Philistines. He ends up back allied with Achish. So the last time we saw where he cut Saul's robe when Saul was going to the bathroom in the cave, and that all played out. Well, what we didn't read, but we did read Tuesday night, is Saul comes after him again in the wilderness. This time he catches Saul's he takes the initiative to Saul in the middle of the night. He grabs his spear and his jug of water. And Saul's like embarrassed again and says, okay, no hard feelings. And you go your way. But he knows he can't stay in the promised land. So David goes back to the Philistines. And once you know, he shows up at Gath again. He shows up with Achish. Achish is like, hey, look at his back. Those Israelites just never know. Like, look at his back. It's, it's, it's against the dude. He's not, he's not drooling on his beard anymore. And David's like, yeah, I'm not. I'm here for a job. Okay, what kind of job do you want? Well, give me a city, and I'll, I'll get you plunder. 
And that's what the previous chapter was. He, Achish gave him the city of Ziglag, and from there David led raids, where he was raiding against the Amalekites and other perpetual enemies of Israel. He's bringing about the goods, the booty, if you will. And, and Achish's like, oh, where'd you come from? And David goes, oh, from raiding the Judah in Judah, the Israelites. So he's deceiving his boss. He's fearful of his life, but he's not going to attack Israel. The guy, the guy who doesn't, the guy who's anointed king of Israel is not going to attack Israelites. The guy who gives Saul his spear back is not the guy that's going to go attack his own people. But he's doing the best he can in a crazy world, like all of us did the last two years being employed on planet Earth in America and any other part of the world. And he's just trying to keep his job. He just needs food. He needs, he, he's got 600 employees that work for him and their families. And he's got two wives. We know one's at least very smart and wise, Abigail. And he's like, dude, I just, I'll work for you. Okay, I'll give you this village, you do that. So that's, this is the background of the story. So now as we come to, uh, well, also one more background. It's all building where the Philistines are going to attack Saul, Israel, an all-out, not a tit-for-tat military campaign, but all-out war. They're going, for, they're going for the jugular. All-out war is coming. And in the next chapter, which we read on Tuesday night as well, Saul went to the witch at Endor and heard, you know, Samuel came back from the grave whatever that was, and tells him, you're going to die tomorrow. And that's, that's that. So at the hand of the Philistines. So in this background, we have these couple of verses with David and, and uh, Achish. So we read this, chapter 28, verse 1. So he's now working for Achish. He's in Ziglag. He's leading raids, but he's not being up front with Achish where he's getting the plunder from. Now, it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you surely know that you will go out with me in battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. And this text makes me mad. Because I've lived long enough to see how the Philistine warlords beat down and talk down to God's people and try and strip them of their divine calling, their divine purpose, and their divine destinies, and talk them down. It's the way of the world to devalue you so they can lower your pay, what they give you, contract negotiations, talk it down. And this happens in the world. The devil does it to all of us. He wants to discourage any believer in Jesus Christ to not really understand who they're called to be in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. Their royalty in Christ, 1 Peter chapter 2. And the upper call of God in Christ Jesus that we're called to individually in each of our lives. Or really, their total destiny, as in Jeremiah chapter 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and have a plan for you and ordained you a prophet. The devil wants to do everything he can by his minions and by humanity and the Philistine lords to keep anyone from Christ really understanding who their identity is in Christ and their destiny to go forward with Christ and to keep them from being fruitful for Christ. So it really is an act of faith. Are we going to let Philistine warlords define who we are in the human experience? Or are we going to let Christ, the King on the right hand of the Father, come in glory to find who we are by the confirmation of His Spirit in our life? That's really what's at stake here in this text. Now, contextually, David is really an employee of Achish. Now, he's already been anointed by the prophet to be the King of Israel. But he's an employee of Achish. He was an employee of Saul. He was a really good employee of Saul. 
He worked. He was a great employee of Saul, but Saul couldn't handle his success and his jealousies against David were too profound. And he fired him and tried to kill him. So now he's an employee down there with the Philistine warlords. He brought his employees with them, 600 men who are in debt, in distress, and discontent. But that's not Achish's problem. They're subcontractors under you. You just do what I tell you to do, and how you manage your 600 employees is your business. Just show up when we're going to Israel, and you surely know you'll go out with me. Well, you surely know what I can do. Yeah, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you a, one of my chiefs, chief guardians forever. I'm going to give you medical and dental benefits. I'm going to give you a, a long-term contract. I mean, you're pretty special. You're so special, I'm going to make you my chief guardian. No, one of my chief guardians. You ever been offended at work when you do a great job and you get talked down? And people come in and beat you down? And like, you're the queen of Israel. You're the king of Yahweh. And some Philistine warlord shows up to you at work that you got to answer to. And they tell you, I'm going to do this for you. I'm such a good boss. I will do, I will do this for you. I, I control your life. I, 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 I will, I will do, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to give you a promotion. I'm going to give a little raise. I want to make you a, one of my chief, one of my chief guardians. Personally, to me, it's insulting. David is one of the greatest human beings that ever lived. David is the living example in this context, the living link to Genesis and the fall of the garden when God promised that he would send the Messiah to come and crush the serpent's head. That promise went through Seth to Noah, to Jephthah, to Abram, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Judah, the 12 tribes of Israel through the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah and By the way, God's people are to be led by one with a shepherd's staff, not a spear. Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. He rules with a spear. David's from the tribe of Judah. He leads with a shepherd's staff. Good lesson in leadership right there. That was going to be your study. That's your parenthetical thought tonight. The whole story of Ruth, Boaz, it's all moving to this. And there's David. David in the boss's office. And the boss says, yeah, I will, I will make, you a, I'll make you one of my chief, chief guardians forever. It's a good deal. It's a good gig working for me forever. Hey, America, land of dreams. You can't speak our language as the first language. I will make you a chief guardian forever. But in the end, David, standing there in that office, he just, well, you know what I can do. You know my resume. You know my resume. You know what I can do. You've seen my resume. Funny thing about David's resume before Achish, his resume doesn't really reveal the things that matter most. The greatest wealth is character and intelligence and to be spirit-filled. Those are the greatest attributes in in humanity. You being transformed by the Holy Spirit to forgive, to let go, to walk in humility to grow in the things of the Lord, that's the greatest equity in time, space, and matter. You serving others in Jesus' name, the, the one who is the least of all, is, the servant of all, is the greatest in the kingdom. That doesn't show up on your resume for the Philistine warlord. 
He just sees, maybe he knew, like, oh, it says here you killed a bear. It says here you killed a lion. Well, we know you killed Goliath. Not sure about that one. Probably not on the resume. Risked my life to capture Saul's spear and gave it back to him because that was the previous chapter. He didn't update his resume. You know, he didn't update it. Maybe he did. And all this guy can say is, oh, yeah, I'll make you a, I'll, I'll make you one of my chief guardians forever. Do not let any demons and fallen men and women on planet Earth sell you short of what God intends to do with your life, particularly the person you see in the mirror. Because more often than not, it's you that sells yourself short of what you're called to do in the human experience. If the devil can convince you that your destiny is not glory and the kingdom and eternity and all the things he has for you in time, space, and matter, plus the next dimension, then he's already defeated you. The devil will dumb you down to minimum wage for another country even. You understand I'm speaking allegorically on that one. But he'll dumb you down. He'll convince you you can't do anything. He'll despise you like David's brothers despised him when he showed up at the camp back in chapter 17. There's something in us that hopes for great things, but there's something in us that fears great things. But I have learned that winners don't fear defeat and failure because it's usually part of the victory that you have. David already knew that. But you're sitting in a boss's office and they say to you, I'm going to do this for you and that's it. And at that moment, David has to decide, hmm, So, I'm going to be a chief guardian forever for the Philistines, for this Philistine warlord who's not even a supreme king. And in that moment, in his mind, like a commercial, in a split second, he has to see all the good things that God's done for his life from day one. Boom, 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 boom. All of it. All of it, his whole life. The hand of the Lord upon his life. And he has to decide, is this man going to define me? Or is God's faithfulness in my life and his calling on my life going to find me? When this man says, you're going to be one of my chief guardians forever, he has to go back to the anointing oil being poured on his head as a 17-year-old high school senior in his father's house when none of his family even esteemed him to bring him in the house when the prophet was there in the first place. He has to go back to fighting the bear and the lion. He has to go back to when he took on Goliath. And it's all, it just went, it's just like when your life flashes before you when you step into eternity, they say, it, it all goes there. And he has to decide, is this guy here defining who I am on this day and where I'm going in my journey of life and for all eternity, or am I going to define it? Is he going to move me from who I know who I am in the Lord to who he thinks I am on planet Earth as a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve in his fallen mind? Am I going to let this man with the natural mind, the carnal mind define me, or am I going to let the mind of the, the Lord define me? In my own heart, spirit bear witness with my spirit who I really am on planet Earth in this journey that we call life. And we have to make those decisions. And unfortunately, the vast majority of people, vast majority of people, accept a dumbed-down version for their lives, for what God has for them, obviously apart from the Lord, but in the Lord too. And I've been saying this a lot lately. But Christ on the cross, Christ risen from the grave, 
Christ ascending to the right hand of the Father, Christ at the right hand of the Father, and Christ promising to come and split the Mount of Olives and establish a kingdom of righteousness on planet Earth is not about smallness and dumbing down. It's about understanding the upper call of God in Christ Jesus as it's meant to be applied in our life to be the greatest version of who we're meant to be in our journey as God's defined it. And that's why this text really resonates with me. Because I've prayed with so many people in 34 years as a pastor, and so many people in the last two years who've had bosses talk them down. Because we're in difficult times. We're going from inflation to stagflation and recession. And people are getting laid off, and people are losing their jobs. And this is the reality. If they, can, if they can use a mandate against you or use some trumped-up charges against you or blame you, they, you know those bosses that take credit for what you did and blame you for what they did wrong? You know those bosses? <laughs> yeah. You know, the bosses, women, men, they take credit for what you do, and then they blame you for what they did wrong. And ultimately, they throw you under the bus when people are making cuts. And you're asked to leave, and you're leaving a cubicle with a box, and everyone's looking at you like you did something wrong. Well, let me tell you, if that's ever been you and it's you in the future, hold your chin up and smile on the way out. And let them know that the Philistine warlords don't define who you are, your worth on planet Earth, and what your tomorrow is going to bring in Jesus' name. Jennifer and I were talking about this today. She's never been fired. <laughs> I've been fired more than once. <laughs> we didn't know if that's something to brag about or be ashamed of, but, you know, hey, <laughs> you know, I got fired couple times. It's not so bad. There's lots of jobs in America. You know, you just reload, reboot it, find another door. But some people getting fired, you got a job for 20 years and you get fired. That can be your whole identity, especially in certain cultures, right? In Asian cultures, man, your job, the corporation, that's your identity. That's like everything. So when, when you get let go unjustly or justly or half and half, to be a woman in the workplace and what women go through, generally not equal pay, generally not equal credit, awards are passed out, you should get it, your boss gets it, who's a uh, narcissistic and a sexist and hits you up all the time at work. A lot of you women know what I'm talking about. I got daughters, and I've played with a lot of women in 34 years to know what goes on at the workplace for women. And you can have laws that say, hey, women should have equal rights and this kind of stuff. But yeah, enforcing those laws? Yeah, that's a whole other story. You see, this is a defining moment in David's life. This is a critical moment in David's life. He's not a teenager anymore. He's a man. He's a man in a man's world. And he's a man of faith. He's trusting in the Lord. And he gets one favorable thing to have another disfavorable thing happen. And he feels great responsibility for hundreds of men and their wives and their children. He's just living day to day trying to figure out how to put food on the table, keep peace in the household, and keep his employees happy, which we'll see in the coming chapter pretty soon in the future. They rebel against him. They go on strike. And they want to kill him, his 600, 430 mighty men. Is to, this, this one verse, verse 2 in this chapter is amazing. Yeah, so the next time someone tells you to pack your box, you think you're going to meet with them for a few minutes, and they tell you you're, you're, you're a worthless employee for 20 years, and they hand you a check and show you the door. 
don't pick up the spear. Know who you are, know who you serve, and know what you've committed to them until that day. When they send you the email, eh, we gotta let you go. It's never about the money and it's never about the job. It's about your heart and your attitude and what God's doing. That's the reality of it. This moment for David is not about Achish and Philistine fish gods and the Philistine warlords. It's about him and the Lord this very moment. It's about knowing, well, you know, you know what I can do. Isn't it always difficult too when you got to defend yourself in a, in a, in a business meeting with your boss? <laughs> you know my resume, right? Like, you know what I can do. Like, you, you know what I can do. Yeah, 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 you'll be one of my chief guardians forever. Lifetime contract, great benefits. Around here, we serve Dagon, the fish god. A lifetime contract, 401k, life insurance, all the benefits. We're immune to the stock market. We guarantee your pension. We got you. Don't worry. Lifetime. Among other things, don't ever trust the promises of Philistine warlords either. Because nothing's guaranteed except Jesus on the cross and Jesus risen and Jesus coming. That's the only guarantee. It's super important that each of us in this room know who we are in Christ Jesus if you've given your life to Christ. And even if you haven't, let me say this to non-believers, because non-believers watch me a lot. Your life matters, and you are important. So listen to me, body of Christ, non-believers. You are precious in the eyes of the Lord, and no one on planet Earth is a mistake. And whether you're born missing limbs or Down syndrome or all these different things that affect your cognitive capacities, your life is of the highest supreme value to Lord of the universe who governs and rules over trillions of galaxies and knows them all by name and knows the hair on your head. Every life, if there's something God has taught me in my journey of life, is that every life matters. And that's why abortion, suicide, and euthanasia are so grieving to the Lord. Because they're all taking lives under the wrong circumstances, let alone murder and such things, and the heartache of manslaughter. You see, every life is important. And that's why we support people who go to the farthest reaches of the world, the countries that have nowhere near the opportunities as we do, for women who can, who can never get a job equal to a guy at Starbucks on the pay scale. And that's why we support you when you go out, and those who have gone out. And that's why I commend you when you go to countries that lower women, they, where women can't even drive cars. Because we may not be able to change the whole world, but we'll do our part to make it better before we leave. And we're not going to let Philistine warlords determine what our daughters are worth, what our wives are worth, what our mentally handicapped children are worth, or an unborn baby in the womb. Christ died for the universe. And the universe revolves around planet Earth and what happened at Golgotha and the empty tomb. And every single life that you look at, whether it's a scarred, marred version of what's left of that human being, destroyed by sin and affected by sin, that life is still precious in the eyes of the Lord. That life was created with divine design and purpose. 
Billions of wires going through your mind. Billions and billions, trillions of wires connecting in your supercomputer of your mind. Every human being. And again, even where there's physical handicaps and things like that, we need to understand those lives have value. And if you think they don't, who cares what your opinion is? Who are you, oh man? Opinions are the cheapest commodity on planet Earth. You know why? Yeah, you know why. Because everyone's got one. I'm learning in my 60s, my opinion doesn't mean much at all. And if it's not aligned with God's word, it means nothing. Let your opinions be aligned by God's word and God's into life and the value of all life. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless. God bless.